Ephesians chapter 1. I want to say how good it is to know that we're going to baptize Sean tonight after service in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. I'm excited about that. Hallelujah. I'm happy to report the water's warm. Amen. That repaired baptistry heater was costly, but it works. <laughs> Sister Ramsey said it was cold last time, wasn't it? Amen, amen. Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 15. Thank you so much for your faithfulness, faithfulness to the house of God. Thank you for being here tonight. I believe that in the next few moments, you'll open your heart to the word of God. God wants to speak into your life. The scripture says, Wherefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. This is what he prays. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to uswards who believe according to the working of his mighty power. And I want to stop right there and I want to preach for a few moments tonight on this subject, what you need to know, what you need to know. Would you pray with me, Lord Jesus, I love you. Thank you for your goodness and your majesty. Thank you for the great grace of God. And Lord, as we come into this house on a Sunday night, Lord, we're asking that you would meet with us here, Lord. You allow the power and the glory of God right now to speak into our hearts and to our lives. Touch us and change us, God, in this place tonight that we become what you would have us to be, Lord, in Jesus' name. Would you say amen? Amen. You may be seated. So in the first chapter of the book of Ephesians, the Apostle Paul makes it known that he has prayed a special intercessory prayer for the church at Ephesus. And in that prayer, he prayed that God, through the spirit of wisdom and revelation, would open their eyes to uh, their eyes of understanding to receive a fresh awareness of three crucial things that the church needs to know. I find it interesting that when Paul prayed for the church, he prayed that their eyes would be open to understand what God wanted them to know. That tells me something. It tells me that it is possible for the things of this world to darken your vision. It is possible for the cares and the affairs of this life to block your eyes, to cause you to lose sight uh, in a spiritual sense uh, of some very important things uh, that you need to know. Satan understands this. The, the enemy of your soul knows that if he can blind you to the power and the working of God in your life, then he can wear you down. Uh, that if he can keep you stumbling in the darkness uh, without a revelation of the blessing of God in your life long enough, uh, he can cause you to grow weary in well-doing. Uh, he can cause you to lose sight uh, of the prize, to give up the struggle, uh, to 
to stop short of the mark uh, of the high calling uh, of Jesus Christ in your life. You see, he knows that you are destined for better things. Uh, He knows, uh, he recognizes uh, the hand of God God on your life. Uh, Amen. He knows uh, that God has called you, that God has laid his anointing upon you, that God has filled you with his spirit, uh, and he tries everything that he can uh, to confuse your understanding uh, of what God has done for you and rob you of the vision of what God has planned for you. And Paul looked at the church in Ephesus and he said, I know that you're in a struggle. I know that your enemy has tried to distract you. I I know that the problems of this life have tried to blind you. But I'm asking God uh, to open your eyes. Uh, I'm asking God uh, to give you a revelation, uh, to cut through the fog, uh, to send a light to pierce uh, the darkness that is closing in around you and to cause you to see God's purpose and God's grace in your life. You will never accomplish what it is that God has for you to do. You will never walk in the joy of your salvation and lay a hold of the prize that has been set before you if you can't catch a glimpse of the plan and the purpose of God in your life. So Paul said, I'm praying. I'm praying that God will open the eyes of your understanding. I want you to know, church, that this afternoon I've stood in this church and I prayed the same thing over you. I have prayed that the glorious light of revelation would shine in this place tonight. I have prayed that God would open your eyes, that he would cause you to see, that he would cause you to know and to understand the greatness and the majesty of his power and purpose for your life. In the military, they call it the fog of war, the confusion, the uncertainty, The doubt that arises when you cannot clearly see your place and your purpose on the battlefield. The enemy tries to distract you. He tries to bog you down in daily struggles to cause you to become captivated by the battle and to lose sight of the prize. But I've come to this pulpit on a Sunday night to preach to you a word from heaven, a revelation of the power and the purpose of God in your life because that's what you need if you're going to make it through this fight. Paul told the church in Ephesus, and I'm telling you tonight that there are three things that you need to know. There are three things that you cannot lose sight of. And for the next few moments, uh, I invite you to lift up your spiritual eyes and catch a glimpse uh, of the eternal glory of God working in your life. The first thing that Paul prayed for the church was this, that ye may know what is the hope of his calling. First of all, let me tell you that it is his calling, not yours. 
It is you who have been called, but it wasn't you that did the calling. Uh, sometimes the enemy of your soul tries to make you think uh, that you called yourself. Uh, he tries to make you think that you dreamed all this up on your own, uh, that you're out of place in the church, that you, you've, you've pushed your way into some place uh, that you don't belong. Uh, but you need to know uh, that God has called you. Uh, God has placed his hand uh, on your life. God has chosen you out of all the people in the world. Uh, God reached down uh, and he anointed you with his spirit. Uh, he didn't, he, you didn't choose him. Uh, you didn't come and seek him out uh, before you ever knew him, uh, before you could ever consider him, uh, before you ever thought of him. Uh, he chose you. Uh, he picked you out of a multitude and said, I'm going to perform uh, a good work in you your life. God looked at you and said, I'm going to make something out of nothing. I'm going to lift you up out of the pit where you are. I'm going to dig you out of the hole and I'm going to set you on a rock. He chose you from the foundations. Like the prophet said, he called you from your mother's womb. Your hope is in his calling. Your hope is in the hand of God that is on your life. He knew you before you knew him. He called you before you ever felt the touch of his hand. But the thing that you need to know is not just that he did the calling. You need to know what the hope of that calling is. What is the hope? In the Bible, hope always refers to something future. It signifies more than just wishful thinking. We say hope and we're, we're, we're talking about something that may never come to pass. I hope that it won't rain or I hope that uh, we'll catch fish today or I hope that that big 15 point monster buck will come walking by with 10 inch drop tines. Amen. I hope this and I hope that and we use it frivolously but when the Bible talks about hope, uh, it's talking about a, a confident expectation that will come to pass by the hand of God, by the very power of God. When the Bible talks about hope, it's talking about faith in what God said that he's going to do. Hope is the basis of faith. It is that power of faith that reaches for some future reward. And Paul said, you need to remember the hope uh, that compels you, the hope uh, that sets you on your course in this life. You need to remember uh, that your hope is not in this world. Uh, you need to remember that your hope uh, is not in the things of this life. Uh, you aren't living for what is down here. You're not living for a temporary reward. Uh, you're not living for a momentary pleasure. Uh, you're not living for what you can gain uh, on this side of glory you need to know you need to be reminded you need to have the eyes of your understanding opened to see what your hope is our hope my friend is heaven that's what we're living for 
That's why we're here tonight. He's not called us just to live for him in this world. Uh, He has called us to be with him in eternity. He didn't make you for this world. Uh, He made you for heaven. Uh, He didn't make you for this temporal, uh, carnal living that you're having, this temporal, carnal world that surrounds you. He made you for another world. Uh, He made you to inhabit eternity with him. Romans chapter 8 and verse 24 says, For we are saved by hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for it? But if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. The Greek word for patience is is very closely translated to the word for endurance. It means to hold on. It means not to let go. Paul is saying you have to endure this present world. You have to endure the trials and troubles of this life and this is how you do it. You've got to get the finish line in sight. Uh, You've got to get heaven in view. Uh, You've got to get your eyes on the prize. Uh, You need to know what your hope is. Uh, You need to know why you're in this thing. Uh, You need to know why you're doing this. Uh, You need to have a hope uh, in what you cannot see uh, because that's what's going to compel you through what you can see. Uh, You need to have a hope uh, in things that are beyond your understanding because when you come into the troubles and the trials of this life this seems so real this seems like they're going to overwhelm you you need to have a confidence in things unseen that are going to carry you through this present life I'm going to join my voice with Paul tonight I'm praying for a revelation of heaven. I'm praying for a revelation of the glory of that city that he's called you to. I'm praying that God will open somebody's mind in this place, open the understanding of your heart to catch a glimpse of glory. We need to be reminded. We need to know that there is a city whose builder and maker is God. We need to know that there are streets uh, made of pure gold, uh, so pure that the Bible said they're clear like glass. Uh, There's a city uh, that has walls uh, that are made of jasper, uh, that has 12 foundations uh, that are made of precious stones, uh, and on those stones are written uh, the names of the apostles uh, of the Lamb of God. We need to be reminded uh, that there is a fantastic, wonderful, tremendous city beyond our imagination Imagination beyond our understanding. Uh, there are 12 gates to that city, uh, and every gate uh, was made from one pearl. Where that city is, there is no sun and there is no moon. Because the Lamb is the light in that city. And that light will never dim. It'll never go out. There'll never be any darkness over there. There's never going to be a night over there. There's never going to be any sickness. There's never going to be any despair. There's never going to be any crying. There's never going to be any pain. There's never going to be any toll or trouble or circumstances that get you distressed over there. In that glorious city, we're going to see the one who saved us by his grace. We're going to see the one who lifted us out of a miry clay. You want to know the best part of it? The Bible said 
of all the wonders of heaven, of all the glory of his grace, the half has never yet been told. Amen. It's never even entered into the heart of man to consider, to even begin to try to understand the fullness of the glory of that city called heaven. You need to be reminded in this place tonight, that's the hope of our calling. That's the hope that compels us through this present world. You need to be reminded what your hope is. I'm going to tell you what needs to happen in this house tonight. Somebody needs to catch a glimpse of heaven. Somebody needs to catch a glimpse of that city on the other side of glory. When Peter wrote to the church in the midst of persecution, when they were putting them to death, whenever they were coming against them, with all the power and authority of the laws and the government and everything was against them, it was a dark, dark time for the church. But Peter said, I want to remind you that you have an inheritance in incorruptible and undefiled uh, that doesn't fade away and this world didn't give it to you and this world can't take it away from you it doesn't matter what happens in this life Uh, it doesn't matter what government does to you it doesn't matter what principalities do to you you have a reward in heaven we are the sons of God And our inheritance is the full measure of the riches and the glory of God in heaven I come to this pulpit on a Sunday night to remind somebody in this place heaven's worth living for. Heaven's worth living for. I want to remind somebody heaven's worth striving for. Heaven's worth pouring out your heart for. Heaven's worth denying your will for. Heaven's worth rejecting sin for. Heaven is worth every trouble and every trial and every pleasure and everything that is in this world. If you trade it, every earthly treasure, if you trade in all the riches of this world, if you trade in uh, every, every carnal, a material rich that you could gain, everything that you could ever get in this life, if you trade in everything this world has to offer, all the kingdoms and all the power and all the glory and all the treasure, if you traded it all for the hope of heaven, I'm here to tell you tonight that heaven's worth it. I'm here to tell you tonight that one moment in his presence will far outweigh everything that this world could ever offer. It's worth living for. It's worth denying the world for. It's worth dying for. Amen. There is a hope, amen, that is good enough to live for and good enough to die for. And if we could, for just a moment this evening, catch a glimpse of the glory of heaven, we would discover that there is a a power there, a majesty there, a sight there that fuels our endurance, that gives us the energy to determine to live for God. The key to victorious living in this life is to never forget what you're living for. 
the key to overcoming sin, the key to overcoming the troubles and trials that come your way, the key to overcoming the circumstances and situations that assail you and seek to, to, send, to put you out of God's will and push you away from the glory and the presence of God. The key is to remember what you're living for. Your treasure is not in this world. Amen. The thing that is your hope, that is your inheritance, it's not in this life. It's on the other side of glory. The second thing that Paul prayed for the church was that they may know what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Now listen to me, because there's revelation here that you need to get. God's about to open the eyes of your understanding. Heaven is our inheritance, but we are God's inheritance. Heaven is my reward, but I am his reward. Amen. You need to understand. You need to know his inheritance is in the saints. Amen. This is not the inheritance that God has for his people. This is the inheritance that God has in his people. God's inheritance is in his church. We need to be reminded in this place on a Sunday night of our value to God. If we could really see the church like God sees the church, if we could really see ourselves as God sees us, it would open our eyes to how much we matter to God. We are his bride. We are the apple of his eye. He has chosen us. And he has invested himself in us. We are his reward. That's a truth that echoes through scripture. God has always desired a people that would fulfill his purpose. A church that he could share himself with. A bride that he could know. That could know the fellowship of the riches of his glory. Way back in Deuteronomy chapter 32 and verse 9, the Bible says, For the Lord's portion is his people, and Jacob is the lot of his inheritance. We are his inheritance. I know that I just said that our hope is heaven, but I want to take that a step further for just a moment. I oversimplified our hope because what I'm about to say makes more sense in the context of the second revelation. Our hope is more than just heaven. Because what makes heaven, heaven is God. And what makes heaven special is the presence of God there. It is God in his presence and his abiding glory that makes that place so special. It's not the streets of gold and the walls of jasper and the cities of pearl. It's not the, the mansions and all that is there that makes that place such a reward. What makes it so rewarding is the presence of God and that's our real reward in heaven. He is our inheritance. He is our prize and now we see that we are his he is the object of our hope and we are the object of his desire you got to get this because you have to realize how much you matter to God you 
are his inheritance. You are his reward. Don't let the devil tell you you don't matter. Don't let the devil tell you you're just a little cog in a big wheel. Nobody cares whether you show up or not. Don't let the devil tell you, amen, you're not important to God. You are his inheritance. Uh, you are his reward. If somebody picked up the phone and called me tomorrow morning and told me I had a long lost uncle that died that I never knew uh, and he left me a million dollars, I'm going to tell you something. Uh, I'm going to guard my inheritance. Uh, I'm going to get a hold of that. Uh, I'm I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to treasure it. Uh, I'm going to put it up, uh, and I'm going to protect it. Uh, you're his inheritance. Uh, you're his hope. Uh, you are his delight. Uh, you got to get this. Uh, you matter to God. He, the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2 that Jesus Christ endured the pain and the agony, the shame and the reproach of the cross for the joy that was set before him. You, you're that joy. You, you are that reward. Just as much as the hope of an eternity with him is what compels you through the suffering of this present life just as much uh, as the hope of heaven is what pushes us through the struggles of this life. My Bible tells me that the hope of an eternity with you is what compelled God to make himself uh, a little lower than the angels, to become a man, flesh and blood, and to endure the suffering of the cross. He did it for the joy that was set before him he did it for you not just for your benefit but also for his benefit for the benefit of being with you for eternity you are his reward the purpose of God for the church is far greater than just saving us from our sins it's far greater than just preserving us in this present world our salvation is the necessary first step to get to what God really wants it's only the beginning. He didn't just save you from your sins uh, because he, he wanted to save you. Uh, he saved you from your sins uh, because he wanted to set you aside for himself. He wanted to fellowship with you. He wants to walk with you. He wants to talk with you. He wants you to know him, uh, and he wants to know you. Uh, that's the real prize. Uh, that's the reason why he went to the cross. That's the reason why the king of glory abandons his throne of majesty and condescends, uh, humiliates himself uh, to become a man. Uh, and they beat him, and they mocked him, and they spit upon him, and they whipped him, uh, and they nailed him to a cross. Uh, and he never once opened his mouth, uh, and he never once reviled against them. He endured it all because that's how special you are to him. That's how much you matter to God. You need to know that. You need to get a revelation of what you mean to God because there's confidence in that revelation. When you realize what you mean to him, 
you'll realize he'll never forsake you. He's never going to abandon you. He's never going to leave you on your own. Amen. That lady sitting over there is my bride. She's the apple of my eye. Amen. I'm never going to abandon her. I'm never going to. Whenever she says, honey, I say yes. Whenever she says, I need, I say, okay, how much do you need? Amen. There's just something about that little girl. She's got my heart. She's got my attention. Amen. I'm never going to leave her. She doesn't pump her own gas, folks. No, she doesn't. She calls me and says, the fuel light came on. Where are you? I'm going to tell you something. You're his bride. You're the apple of his eye. He's not going to abandon you. He's not going to leave you to this world. He's not going to leave you to the things of this life. All you got to do is call out and say, Lord, my fuel light came on. Where are you? He's going to be right there. I'm, I'm praying tonight uh, that the Holy Ghost will stir somebody up in this place uh, to appreciate the extraordinary value that God places on you. You matter to him. The final thing that Paul prayed for the church was that they would know what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his mighty power. Earlier, when I introduced the subject of hope, I made the statement that biblical hope is not just wishful thinking. It is something that God will bring to pass. Biblical hope is a hope that is based in the ability of God to do what God said that he would do. Our hope is in God. And God's hope is in us. And tonight we need to recognize that God will have a church. He will have a bride. He's going to rapture a pure and spotless holy people from this world. He's going to have himself a bride. He has purchased his church with his own blood. And the final thing that we need to know is that his hope is never going to be in vain. He will preserve his church by his own power. You need to know uh, that the exceeding greatness uh, of the power of God uh, is directed towards you. One scholar said that verse 19 contains the greatest collection of power and greatness words found anywhere in the Bible. When Paul starts talking uh, about the power of God that is directed towards us, he just keeps adding adjective to adjective to adjective. He just keeps on describing the ever-expanding power of God. Uh, He puts a huge emphasis on it. Uh, He wants us to get it. Uh, He's telling us that the exceeding greatness uh, of God's power is directed towards us. God has committed an abundant supply of his power to make sure that we have every resource that we need to make it through this life. That tells me something. I can't make it on my own power. I can't make it on my own ability. 
God has directed a, a supernatural investment of his exceeding power, his greatness uh, to help me overcome this present world and make heaven my home. I need his power working for me. But that also tells me that God has not held anything back. He has fully invested himself in the goal of preserving you and preserving me as his prize. Listen to this, Pastor. If you lose out with God, if you fail to make it to heaven, it won't be because God didn't use every resource at his disposal to give you every opportunity possible to make it through the trouble and trials of this life. Listen to what I'm telling you. Amen. This is where the real revelation lies. Let me tell you what you need to know, what your eyes of, of understanding need to be open to. God has fully invested the exceeding greatness of his own power to make sure you make it to heaven. That's the truth. God has invested himself. The fullness of his power is directed towards you. All the riches of his glory, all the greatness of his majesty, all the resources of heaven have been committed to the great cause of your salvation. You need to be reminded you're not in this thing alone. You're not in this thing on your own. The exceeding great and mighty power of God is working for you. You need to be reminded uh, that he plots your path. Uh, he orders your footsteps. Uh, he governs your life. Uh, and can I tell you tonight, uh, he stacked the odds uh, in your favor. He takes the things that your enemy meant for evil uh, and he turns them uh, into blessing. Uh, he takes the attack uh, that was supposed to destroy you and he uses it to build you up uh, and move you to another level of maturity in your spirit. Uh, he's the one who the scripture says makes all things uh, to work together for your good. Uh, amen. Everything uh, that comes into your life, every circumstance, uh, every situation, every trial and every tribulation it's all woven into his master plan uh, and he's moving you to glory amen, he's taken every effort to preserve your soul nothing takes him by surprise you wake up tomorrow and you get a phone call you don't expect that comes out of the blue that knocks the props right out from underneath you. I got to tell you, the one that watches over you, he never sleeps uh, and he never slumbers uh, and nothing takes him by surprise. Uh, you can trust him. Uh, you can depend on him. Uh, you don't have to understand. Uh, you just got to believe uh, he's going to work it all out. Uh, he's going to bring it all together. He has determined uh, to make it. Uh, he's determined uh, to open a way that you can get to heaven uh, through every circumstance and every situation. Don't get me wrong. I realize that it is possible after having tasted of the riches of glory to become a castaway. But I also know 
that if that happens, it won't be God's fault. It won't be because he didn't do everything in his power to protect you, to bless you, and to preserve you. No man can pluck you from God's hand. No power in hell can rob God of his inheritance. You're the only one. You and you alone possess the power to remove yourself from the hedge of protection that God has placed around you. Paul called it the exceeding greatness of his power. The word exceeding in that verse comes from a Greek word that means to throw beyond the usual mark. It, it has the connotation of surprising or, or surpassing expectation. What it means is that God's power is always outdoing itself. God sets the mark of the excellency of his power and then he exceeds it. God sets the mark of the wonder of his miraculous ability and then he just goes beyond it. Just when you think uh, he set the mark uh, for the excellence of his power in your life, just when you think uh, he's worked the greatest miracle that he could ever work on your behalf, uh, another trouble comes along, another circumstance shows up, another tribulation is pushed upon you, and God surpasses uh, what he's done before. Uh, he goes beyond uh, the mark he set before. He constantly exceeds himself. That's the exceeding greatness of his power. The next valley you face may be deeper than any valley you've ever faced before, but you can have this confidence. Uh, the exceeding greatness of his power will be greater than it's ever been before. Uh, amen. The demonstration uh, of the power and majesty of God in your life uh, will be greater than you've ever seen it before because God is going to do whatever it takes uh, to help you make it through the valley. There will be tests. There will be trials. There will be difficult times. You're gonna, the Bible said you're going to suffer with Christ. Uh, you're going to face a daily battle. Uh, you're going to face an enemy that is determined uh, to rob you of your inheritance. Uh, you're going to face an enemy that is determined uh, to destroy your soul. Uh, but you need to know uh, that the full weight of the glory and majesty of heaven, uh, the exceeding greatness uh, of the power of God is working on your behalf, even when you can't see it, even when you don't realize it, even when it seems like you're all alone, mark my words, he is there, and his power is working for you. I don't know what you're up against. I don't know what you're struggling against. I don't know what's going on in every life in this place tonight, uh, but I know that God laid this message upon my heart. I knew two weeks ago what I was going to stand in this pulpit and say tonight. I knew exactly when I was going to preach it and where I was going to preach it and how I was going to preach it. And I know there's somebody under the sound of my voice right now. You were put here by the hand of 
God. God brought you to the service tonight. Amen. You Maybe you come here every Sunday night. Maybe you think you're here out of habit and ritual. But I come to tell you, God wants to speak a word into your life. Maybe you're here for some other reason. I don't know who you are and I don't know where you are. But I know that you're in the middle of a struggle. You feel like this world has just about overwhelmed you. You feel like the circumstance and situation is more than you compare. And heaven sent me to this pulpit tonight to tell you, you matter to him. Uh, he's got his full power and authority invested uh, in making sure you make it to heaven. The Holocaust survivor, Ernie Max, devoted the later years of his life to sharing his personal experiences of surviving a Nazi concentration camp. One of the things that he shared quite often was that the Germans had a rule in the camps that no prisoner could look up towards the sky. He said this, and this is a quote. He said, the Germans wouldn't let us look up because if you looked up, that gave you hope. And we were not supposed to have hope. He said it was not uncommon to see men and women and even children beaten and bloodied beyond belief for no other crime than simply lifting their eyes to heaven. Your enemy understands that. He knows that if he can keep you from seeing heaven, that if he can keep you from realizing how much you matter to God, that if he can keep you from catching a glimpse of the glory of God that is working on your behalf, that he can rob you of the joy of your salvation, that he can rob you of the, of the, 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 the confidence that you can make it through. I, I understand, amen, how your enemy works. The clutter of this life is like the fog of war. It distracts you. It confuses you. It brings about doubt. It makes you question yourself. It brings you to the place where you don't know if you can go on. But I come to tell somebody in this place tonight, you need to lift up your eyes. You need to lift up your eyes and see what your hope is. You need to remember why you're in this thing. You need to remember, devil, if you take everything from me, I still got Jesus and me and Jesus. Uh, that's enough. Uh, amen. If you take away everything that I've got, uh, every earthly possession, uh, every material treasure, uh, I've still got the hope uh, of heaven. Uh, and that's what I'm living for. Uh, the world didn't give it to me. Uh, and the world can't take it away. I come to tell somebody in this place tonight, you need to lift up your eyes uh, to the hills uh, because that's where your Redeemer's coming from. You need to lift up your eyes to the hills uh, because that's where your help is. Uh, he is the Lord uh, and He is the maker uh, of heaven and earth. Uh, all power and all authority answers uh, to His name uh, and He's on your side. Would you stand to your feet? These are the things that you need to know. 
These are the things that Paul felt it was so important to stop the writing of a letter. Amen. One of the, one of the most intricately put together writings, theological writings of Paul in the New Testament. The book of Ephesians is a, is a real jewel. It is a pearl. Amen. But in the middle of that introduction, he stops and says, I feel compelled of the Holy Ghost to tell you I'm praying for three things for you. Amen. And I'm telling you in this place tonight, you need to get a hold of these things. You need to know what the hope of this calling is. You need to know what you're living for. You need to take your eyes off of your problems. You need to take your eyes off of the situation. You need to take your eyes off of the trouble and the trial. All the things that you can see around you. All the evidence that's piling up. What the doctor said. What the lawyer said. What the banker said. All the evidence that is distracting you from the fact that you are his. You need to lift up your eyes and you need to get a glimpse of the glory of heaven. You need to lift up your eyes and you need to get a picture of your eternal reward. You need to know that God's inheritance, that your inheritance is God and that God's inheritance is you. You need to understand tonight that God is your reward. But you are God's reward. He's going to protect you. He's going to watch over you. I'm not a violent man. But I pity the man who messes with my wife. I'm not an aggressive guy. I'm not the kind of guy that's going to roll up my sleeves uh, and fight with you. But you mess with my family, amen, and you're going to be in trouble, uh, amen. You mess with my bride, uh, amen. That's how God looks at you. Uh, that's how he watches over you, his power, his authority, uh, amen. He stands beside you. He lifts you up. Uh, he carries you. He supports you. You matter to him. You need to understand that the exceeding greatness of his power is directed to you. Just as surely as the Nazi guards understood it, your enemy knows it. He knows that if he can keep your eyes on your problems, your problems will seem bigger than your God. He knows that if he can keep your eyes on the circumstances, it'll cloud your vision and you'll lose sight of glory. But Paul knew and understood that if your eyes could be open for just a moment, if you could catch just a glimpse of the exceeding greatness of the power of God that works on your behalf, that you'd never give up, that you'd never give in, that you'd hang on with everything you've got. They used to sing a song when I was a kid. I tried to YouTube it, and I guess it's older than YouTube. It said, I can make it. My faith can take it. Because I got a heaven on my mind or on my side or whatever it is. It said, I can do it. I can go right through it. I can keep the faith till I cross the finish line. Somebody in this place, you need to get heaven on your mind. You need to get the reward on your mind. You need to get an understanding of what it is that God has for you. You can make it because heaven's on your side. Amen.
you can make it because the maker of heaven and earth is pulling for you. You can make it because the one that divides the seas, the one that makes bread to fall from heaven, the one that opens up a rock in the middle of the wilderness, the one that makes rivers in dry places, he's looking out for you. He's providing for you. Somebody under the sound of my voice right now, you need to take a step of faith. You need to step out and you need to make a declaration to all the enemies of your soul. I'm going to make it. I can take it. I understand. I've got confidence, not in me, but in my God. I've got confidence, not in my ability, but in his. I'm going to stand, not in my strength, but in his strength. I'm going to stand, not by my might, not by my power, but by the Spirit of the Lord.